Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly Podcast in association with Charles Tirrett. England win 3-0 in Pakistan with 18-year-old Rispina Rahan Ahmed taking a Pfeiffer on test debut. England are the gift that keeps on giving. Speaking of gifts that keep on giving, Christmas <laughs> is now less than a week away. And if you still need that last minute gift, don't forget that friends of the podcast, Charles Tirrett, have still got you covered. You can still get delivery before Christmas Day if you go online today, which is Tuesday. Whether it's a little stocking filler, a coat, a piece of knitwear, a shirt or a polo shirt, Charles Tirrett has got it all. Visit charlestirrett.com today and don't forget to use the code WISDON22 to get 20% off. I know a lot of you will be listening after Tuesday. That offer code will still be valid. You just won't be able to guarantee that pre-Christmas delivery. That was class, anyway, by the way. On with the show. That was class, yes. One year ago today, England were bowled out for 192 from 113 overs to go 2-0 down in the Ashes. Today, they're celebrating their ninth win in 10 with Ben Stokes as skipper. We'll be talking about another chaotic and very fun test victory at Karachi, a controversial Australia-South Africa test match that was over in two days at the Gabba. All the other international cricket that's happened over the last few days, some crazy scorecards from domestic cricket. And we've got a chat with Jigger Nike, Rahan Ahmed's mentor at Leicestershire, who tells us what makes the youngster so special. I'm Yaz Rana, and with me today is Ben Gardner, Joe Harmon, and Phil Walker. On our last two shows, we talked about the prospect of Rahan Ahmed playing. We were broadly all for it, but I don't think any of us expected him to do this well. Phil, it is just extremely difficult not to get excited by an 18-year-old leg spinner who's got a massive googly who's taken seven wickets on test debut, who also had a go at three. I love the way he walked off and tossed the ball up in the air, knowing that you know, the, the snappers would be on it and his father watching as well uh, in tears. Will he know that though? Yeah, he's a showman. There was definite showman elements to, to the way that he carried himself throughout the game, I think, even down to his interview with Atherton on, at the end of day four. Big grin, chewing his gum. Chewing mm. gum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, conspicuously chewing his gum. Um, 
giving thanks to the Almighty, uh, declaring that he was warming up for three hours when asked why he didn't bowl for the first half of the day. All of it, the whole package was joyous. Taps into the, the sort of faintly uh, ostentatious joyousness of the team that Stokes was alluding to again at the end of the game. Uh, but look, we've we've sat around for many, many years between us uh, wondering if England will ever deliver a, a leg spinner in t- at test cricket level. Adil Rashid did it for a few minutes, um, had a day out once or twice, uh, but you never really got the sense of permanence with him. Um, uh, there is the possibility that with this all-round cricketer, and that's the key, right? If he was a number 10, 11, then you might take him on the subcontinent as a second spinner uh, behind Leach as it stands. But because he, th- he throws so much more into the mix... And because there's so much variety in this team, he has a chance. He really does have a chance. Uh, and the thing with leg spin is that things happen around it all the time. And that drag down to Baba uh, shouldn't be dismissed as simply a rank long hop. Because if you're bowling wrist spin, then the fizz, the trajectory, the spit off the pitch, it just reacts slightly differently. And so a bad ball from a leg spinner is more threatening than a bad ball from an off spinner. Uh, and so, on the one hand, you can denigrate that delivery and say, OK, well, he's got a bit lucky to get the big man out. But then 10 minutes later, he gets their other big player out with an absolute beauty that, that rolls rolls out, out, the, out the back of the hand, dips, spits, t- holds its line just enough. He doesn't spin his leggy that much, but you don't need to. And Mo Rizwan nicks off, and then he gets rid of the other star player in this in this side in Shaquille, and and suddenly the game is his. Uh, the thing is, he it looked like he he believed it. You know, there was no shock in his face. Mm. Ben, a lot of people listening to this wouldn't have actually watched that much of him bowl. How how good a leg spinner is he already? Yeah, well, it's interesting what Phil says about the leg break not turning that much because I actually struggle to think of a. A wrist spinner that there's ever been, basically, who's turned both the leg break and the googly. Uh, and I think it, it, when you look at the mechanics of it, you can kind of see why. Because if you're doing both with this broadly the same action, then uh, it's kind of hard to get the fizz going both ways. And that and that's the thing. Like when you look at the the split screen, they actually look really hard to tell apart the leg break and the googly. They're both delivered with quite a quite a high arm, which can aid the googly quite a lot. Um, but that doesn't mean there's no action on the leg break either. Like um, the ball to Rizwan, it did kind of just straight and just do a little bit, but it also had that that dip on it that then went away. And also, I guess the thing as well is uh, just how quickly he seems to be learning. I mean, he is obviously very, very green and learning on the job uh, and working out which of his angles are going to be best, considering that he bowls, he's predominantly a googly bowler, whether that means he needs to come uh, round or over the wicket to the right-handers and that sort of thing. And that is the things that he seemed to be figuring out as he was going along. And uh, um you, you almost want people saying like, why haven't Leicester uh, played him at all that he's not played him only three games? You think if he improved this much from his first spell to his last on test debut, kind of how bad must he have been <laughs> six months ago? If this is kind of the rate of progress. So I think there, there is a lot to like. Obviously, you know, uh, Adil Rashid on test debut against Pakistan away from home took 549 and Rian Ahmed took 548. So this isn't, this is no guarantee of success down the line, but there are lots of fundamentals I think there's like. big differences in their characters I think Adil Rashid really struggled with the limelight struggled with the weight of expectation in those early years it was known to be not the most mature developing cricketer at that point um, was quite self-conscious quite introverted 
don't think any of that applies to this kid. He also had a county record that was so good by the time he got in because he did, I mean, he took stacks of wickets and scored a lot of runs early doors of Yorkshire. There was that pressure. Whereas this, as we discussed before he played, felt like a free hit and he, and he took advantage of it. We had, we've got a feature done by Taha on Ray Ahmed and, and spin bowling in the issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly that's just come out, which at the time Phil and I were debating, it felt like a bit of a punt to do a full feature on a kid who's, played three first class games and might not play a test match as it is we got we got a bit lucky with that one but the thrust of Taha's piece really was that Rian Ahmed usually you'd say a leg spinner has to or any spinner really has to learn their trade in county cricket over many years get that kind of kind of almost like back catalogue of wickets to have then have that confidence to go into the test side Taha's point was that the way England are playing and particularly the way that Stokes is captaining Perhaps his development is best served in this England team than it is playing county cricket. Um, you know, is he going to play this summer? At the moment, he's, you'd say he's still behind Leach, but that could change quite quickly. Um, and his development does seem to be best served being part of this this group where they will back him. And that's no offence to Leicestershire, who have, have obviously done a really good job bringing him through. But you look at the pitches around county cricket, you look at the time of year it's played, it's not well suited to, be, to, to being a leg spinner. Perhaps being under Stokes' wing as much as possible is the best way for him to develop quickly. We've got a question exactly on this. Matt asked, how important slash fortunate is it that Rahn Ahmed has come into senior cricket at the same time that Stokes and McCullum took over? I mean, yeah, Massively I, so. This is probably the best time for any young, young spinner ever or any, to break into a team. Any cricketer at yeah. all, to be honest, but particularly a spinner and particularly an 18-year-old. One thing that I thought when watching the Warn documentary on Amazon earlier in the year was Warren's physicality. He was always, even when he was really young and also later down the line when he wasn't in peak athletic condition, he was really, really strong. He wanted to be an Aussie rules player considered being a tennis player. Rahan looks really strong and I think that's what makes him so dangerous right now. There's a lot of fizz on the ball so that when he does get it right, it causes real problems straight away. And I think he's got quite good control of his speed already. I think he'd noticeably bowls slower in test cricket compared to what he does when he's playing the 100 for example yeah I think the the leech question I don't I mean I could see something happening there reasonably quickly I mean first of all England are touring New Zealand next and spin there it's, it's one of the hardest places to bowl spin in the world I mean what last winter Ajaz Patel took 10 wickets uh, in an innings in India and then wasn't picked for the next game in New Zealand which shows how they understand their conditions to be so unspin friendly leech has gone there twice now I think what well, he's only played one test in each of those tours but the second of those in particular was kind of your typical Jack Leach performance on a wicket which isn't offering him assistance where he was containing and he was tight but there was no real threat and New Zealand piled up loads of runs I think there's there is a question of I think at some point England will because they are always examining and questioning accepted logic they will question what they want their spinner to be and if they want it to be someone who can hold up an end and come into the game if it spins or if they want it to be someone who can be a threat whenever but maybe leak a few runs or if they want it to be someone who can kind of just get through those overs to give the others a rest and hit some runs and I think the containing thing as well in some ways that's less than like it doesn't really matter if your spin is going at 2.9 and over or 3.5 and over if you're going to score at 5 and over if you know what I mean like it's that there's less of a thing there so and also root bowling more and yes. possibly gives them more options to perform the holding role without Leach. Mm. So yeah. I, I guess I'm not, I wouldn't be too surprised if Rian Ahmed makes it into that squad for New Zealand. And then once that happens, because of how they end up picking players just based on what they see and practice and what they like, I wouldn't be 
totally surprised if he ends up playing there, even though Leach has done a, a, a very good job and has really let England down and has improved under Stokes and looks a more confident bowler. I think in terms of what England are looking for, I can see how that might change over the next six months or so. Yeah, I can see some logic in that. Definitely, it is worth adding Leach is the leading test wicket taker uh, this year across all countries. Obviously, England have played a lot of games and, and he's played pretty much all. I think he has played all of them. Uh, so there are reasons behind it, but but he's had a he's had a good year. Stokes loves Jack Leach. It's his he's his pet project, uh, and so I can't see him being usurped anytime soon. I can actually see, not necessarily in New Zealand, obviously, uh, although nothing you don't write anything off with this team. But there's so much variety within it, so many options within it that you could easily, you know, you could potentially play six batters, Bairstow at six, keeping keeping for example. You could then bring in. Curran at seven, the leggy at eight, two more quicks and Leach at 11. You could easily play that side, legitimately play that side. And if you're thinking that when England tend to go to New Zealand, they struggle to take 20 wickets, uh, then you could you could make a case for that. Absolutely, you can. And that could, again, apply, obviously, you know, back end of the summer here, come the ashes. So so nothing's off the table here. But also, there's no rush. Christ, yeah, I mean, people are going to be kind of thinking, well... When does he become England's premier spinner? I don't think we need to be concerning ourselves with that yet. I just think we've got to savour what we've seen. Uh, also, as a one-day cricketer, I mean, he looks like he would fit very nicely into that white That's what I was going to say. I think we're going to see a lot of him in one-day cricket before yeah, we might see him again right, in test cricket. Exactly. And if he has two or three years grounding himself in the in the white ball side, learning the ropes, learning the, the expectations of international cricket, and also when to throw in certain deliveries against great players... That'll be a good grounding for him, and if you know, if he if he only if he doesn't play another Test match for two or three years, I don't think that's necessarily a problem because they've found something there that that they are going to want to nurture and use over the next ten, twelve, fifteen years. Do you think that's a possibility, given how well he bowled in that game and that he took uh, he took wickets at points when nothing was happening and a lot of pitches, a lot of Test matches take place on really flat wickets? Do you think it could be a case that we don't actually see him for for quite a long time? Um, I don't. Th- I would expect him to play another Test match in 2023. Yeah, and Stokes's sense of adventure would be such that he'd find it hard not to throw him in, and he might throw him in from the first Test match in wherever it is, Christchurch or wherever, wherever that first Test is. Uh, I would be surprised if he didn't, but I don't think it's disastrous if he doesn't. If that makes any sense, yeah, right? Yeah. And when England are 3-0 up against Australia, you pick him for the, the dead <laughs> rubber, don't you? Uh, the other thing is as well, he's all, I think he's very likely to get an IPL deal. So he, I don't, I doubt he'll be involved much. So in he's on, isn't he? He's on for the auction. Well, yeah. And, and because he was uncapped when the auction list was finalised. So his base price is really low. So it's 40. That's not all so he can bat. He's that quick leg spinner that can uh, work well in those conditions. And so I, I would be surprised if Rian Ahmed doesn't get a gig in the IPL. I guess and the next question is how do England manage the rest of his winter? He's 18. He's actually only recently turned 18 and it's probably not what they want for him to be away for the entirety of it. So you potentially could see him not being selected in a test squad because he has an IPL contract. For some people, that's terrifying to hear, but that that might just be the most pragmatic way of, of managing his winter. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be pulled in various different directions already. I mean, it's amazing how quickly this happens. I remember in an interview he did with Taha, Prior to this um, latest feature, he said, you know, I, I enjoy playing white ball cricket, but red ball cricket is the thing. I mean, I, yeah, my dream is to play a test match. Well, he's done that already. <laughs> so, so what's what's the next one? Uh, uh, to play in the IPL. Firstly, he's not on a central contract. He won't be on an incremental contract either. And so 
Uh, England will have some influence over where he goes in the springtime, but they won't have absolute influence. Uh, I'd be very surprised if they said anything other than go ahead and play if he gets picked. Uh, That's consistent with their attitude towards the IPL, their attitude towards young players who have to follow their own dreams. But uh, there is so much in front of him that I I don't see that being problematic. I Mm. really don't. Yeah, oh, I, I I do see it being a potential problem in some way. It's just just because players do get pulled about even when they don't really realise it. Like if, if England end up picking him for all the series over the winter because they want to give him a go in ODI cricket and they want to give him a go in uh uh and and they, 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 and they'll also think well if he's not going to be playing much county championship cricket the Red Bull grounding we can give him is on a test tour even if he's not going to play. So they'll be tempted to pick him for that New Zealand series for that reason as well. But then they'll think oh what do we rest and rotate and we'll make sure he's not on the road all the time and then he's going to the open and actually you could easily get to the ashes and he's not played very much red bull cricket these things become problematic without them being yeah okay i I concede that the ashes is early isn't it if the ashes was in august as it would normally be then you would say okay you can go and have six weeks go and live that particular dream you'll be back by mid mid mid-may and you can play a handful of games for leicester and get your feet under the table in the english summer and then you can see where you're at for that first test match two two or three months down the line it's happening in early June, I think, is the first test match. So that does change the landscape, actually. Mm. Um, just a few more stats on Rahan. So he's the youngest ever men's test cricketer to take a fifer on debut, the sixth youngest bowler to take a men's test fifer. And the list is actually pretty impressive. Was like, it Pat Cummins? Was the t- so Pat Cummins was seventh. So he's in between Vittori and Cummins. And he was the youngest to have a fifer on debut. Yeah. Right, it yeah. Debut, yeah. Was it? That's, yeah. that's it, yeah. And then, you know, uh, Mohammed Amir, Wazi Makram, those are the kind of names on that list. The youngest Englishman to take a test fifer by by quite a long way. And he got to bat at three. Um, can you guys guess the UK number one when he was born? Do you already know this? Do August 2004. Thunderbirds by Busted. Wow. You and, know that, <laughs> and also the last time England won a test match without either Broad or Anderson in the team was in 2007 when Rahan was two. And Tony Blair was still Prime Minister. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is that right? Yeah. The last time they won an overseas test without either of them was 18 years ago tomorrow. Um, anyway, after play yesterday, I spoke to Jigger Nike, who worked closely with Ahmed at Leicester ever since Ahmed joined the county at 13. This is one of the, my favourite pod interviews that I've done, uh, just because you can hear how happy and proud Nike is throughout the interview. Here is that chat. Great to have you on. First off, how proud have you been seeing Rohan do what he's done over the last three days, representing England in a test match, taking a fiver as an 18-year-old on test debut? Oh, it's incredible, isn't it, to see such a young guy, obviously um, fairly inexperienced, um, to go in and on the biggest of stages and do that well. Um, it's phenomenal to see. Um, I, I, I just want to speak to his dad. I mean, I spoke to him yesterday, but his dad would be absolutely delighted. I mean, I'm so chuffed for him, his family, um, all the people that have been involved in his development and also Leicestershire County Cricket Club. So. What, what does this mean for the county to produce the player who's done so well at such a young age? Oh, I, I think it's, it's massive. I mean, it's huge news. Um, there's a couple of things which obviously we've been in the media in the recent past for not uh, producing uh, many results um, that go in our favour. But ultimately, we, we've produced and we are producing um, cricketers, which is uh, which is clear to see. And Rehan's obviously a massive product of that. Um, I, I first met Rehan when he was 13, 14. Um, he joined our academy 
uh, and he was just a bubbly, infectious character that any anything to do with cricket, it, it just his ears would spike up, and he just love love listening to a listening to a, about it. And when he saw a battle ball, he'd pick it up and he'd want to train. So it's it's massive for Leicester. I mean, going forward, like I said, it's we have been in the sort of media in the recent past of not producing results, but actually what we are doing is we're, we're trying our best, obviously, to produce results, but we we are in the meantime producing players, which is good. When you first met Rahan at 13, 14, did you, did you know straight away that this was someone who's special? The kid had talent. <laughs> I mean, very rarely, you, you see talented kids, but what you don't really see is the, the work ethic that he used to have, and he still does. Um, I touched on it a little bit there when when he when he put a ball in his hand, he'd just want to bowl and he'd bowl for hours and hours and hours. And if you put a bat in his hand, it was the same. He'd just want to bat. <laughs> um, and not just forgetting that, even with, with fielding, any spare time he'd have, he's like, oh, Jigs, give us a few catches or whatever it was to, to do with cricket. And that that's special. I mean, if you put those two ingredients together, obviously he's 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 got the talent, but with that he he, he works so so hard, incredible hard, incredibly hard that actually you, you knew you were looking at something special. One thing that Rob Key talked about when they picked Rahan into the into the test squad was about how confident they were in his in his personality. That's something that fans who've only seen him for the first time in this test match probably don't know much about. Just just give us a flavour of what, what Rahan is, what he's like in the dressing room. Bubbly, uh, infectious, uh, energetic, um, always doing things. I mean, he's always twiddling. He's always, he just wants to do things. And he never sits down. He can't sit down still for, for a second. Um, but go, going with that alongside that is obviously um, he's very confident. He's a, he's a nice, confident lad. Um, obviously, uh, growing up in a family where he his two brothers also play uh, a very good standard of cricket, I think that helps. Um, and his, his dad's brilliant in the grounding that he's had. Um, but yeah, he's just real energetic and infectious. So it just goes around the dressing room. Um, it, it's brilliant to see. He's always got a smile on his face. Um, which is understandably so. I mean, everything he's done so far in terms of making his 50-over uh, debut, his 100 debut, his T20 debut, and his first-class debut, and even now his international debut, he's just taken it in its strides, and it, it's mm. fantastic. It's so good to see. Obviously, as you say, he's, everything he's touched has, has, has gone well so far. What was your reaction when he got the test call-up? Because 18-year-olds don't play test cricket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very rarely do they now, yeah. I mean, I was I was uh, excited. Um, I, I sort of had a bit of a tear in my eye, to be honest. I was really, really happy for him. Um, and I was so proud for his, his family and his dad, especially. Um, but no, when, when he got the call, I, I wasn't surprised at all. I, I knew, obviously, the way he finished um, our first class season for Leicestershire, when he got a five for an 100 in the same game, that actually this there's going to be some things um with this guy's development going into the winter whether that be i i, I sort of knew he wasn't going to play england 19s but i sort of thought that look england lions and then if he does well from there you never know um and, and that was that was brilliant to see i mean when he got the call up and uh, i think ben stokes sort of gave him a simple message it was brilliant to see him play as well i mean I know initially he just went out there with a touring party just to um, mix in um, and see how he gets on. But 
after being 2-0, I, I actually thought, when we went 2-0 up, I thought, actually, he might have a chance here. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, he made his debut, the little little legend. <laughs> Seven wickets up now. We've had a, quite a few of our listeners have emailed in to say, or to wonder why has he only played three games for Leicestershire? If he's, if he's this good already, why has he not played? Is, is it right that he had an injury at the end of the season that kept him out for a little bit as well? A little bit. He had a little bit of an injury, but he is, <laughs> I mean, he's fairly young into his career. That's what you, you sort of, a lot of people tend to forget. Um he only signed as a professional cricketer a year and a half ago, maybe. Um, but from then, he, he's played a lot of white ball cricket. He's played most of the T20s for us. Um, and then he went on to get the 100 contract, which was, um, again, that's why he probably missed a bit. Um, and yeah, and then he picked up a, a little bit of a niggle, I think, from the 100, um, which which meant that he couldn't play um, some of the games mm. when he came back. But the way he finished was, was magnificent. And again, it just shows how, how good this guy is going to be. He's already good, <laughs> but he's going to be a he's going to be a world beater. I mean, it, it, obviously, with that, like I said earlier, all his work ethic and all that 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 I know that's going to remain the same. So he will be a very good player. What has he got over other other young wrist spinners? Uh, well, you said it straight there. I mean, he's young. So a lot of young guys don't really have the control he's got. Um, yes, we're going to see loose deliveries from leg spinners um, and wrist spinners. It, it, it's a given. Um, but the, the fact that obviously with his character, he doesn't let that phase him much. Um, he's got a, he's got very good variations. He's got a nice flipper. He's got a skidder. He's got a leggy that doesn't turn much, and then he gets one to go a little bit more. Um, uh, I mean, he's got a he's got a wise head on his shoulders. I think that's a big thing as well. He's got a lovely googly. Um, I think most or quite a few wickets in this test series uh, came from his googly. Um, but like I said, he's got a wise head on his shoulders and it, it looks like he, he uses the crease well. Um, he knows when to sort of uh, boulder seam up delivery in terms of the, the seam going correctly or the scramble seam. Again, that's part of his uh, uh, sort of mystery in terms of because he, he bowls the googly so well. He, he tries to disguise his leg spinner as well. So, I mean, it, there's a lot going on behind the scenes with his with his work re- ethic. Um but he, he has got a lot of variations. And then I think the one thing that uh, struck people straight away was just how good that googly is. Um, and he was saying to Mike Atherton on, on Sky after day one, I think, he was saying that uh, the googly comes more naturally to him, partly because his older brother's a left-hander. So he just, just through bowling so much to him, his googly is more natural to him than the leggy. Yeah, I mean, that's one of his go-to deliveries. I think when he's uh, under a little bit of pressure from what I've seen when he's in the T20s, he does go to that uh, googly quite quite soon. Um, and that's brilliant. I mean, if he's got the ability to bowl the googly with that control, and it's something we've seen Rashid Khan do so successfully in, in, in recent history. So... Mm. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> yeah. So does he? You mentioned Rashid Khan. Does he, Rohan, talk about leg spinners that he looks up to in particular, or try to emulate at all? Not necessarily. He talks about spin, but like a, he talks about cricket. Every every second, he'll have the option to do so. Or he'll talk about cricket, so that's not the issue with him. Um, I, to be fair, we've just talked about him being Rohan Ahmed. <laughs> he's, he's 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 natural in his own ways. Um, He's got a fantastic sort of variation in his in what he's doing. Bowls at a brilliant speed for international cricket or first class cricket for men's cricket, which we should say. Um, yeah, and he's just he's just being himself, which is fantastic. Mm. I mean, obviously, I think one of his uh, heroes were, was Shane Warne. 
So that moment when Shane Warne, actually, when he was 13, I'm sure you've seen the video which is going around, said to him, look, you're going to you're gonna be playing first-class cricket soon. I'd be surprised if you don't. I think that's brilliant to see as well. And finally, when Rohan spoke to us about a month or so ago, he said that he was a batter. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, we've not seen much of him. We're talking about 20 minutes after he was promoted up to number three today. Um, h- how good is his batting? Because if, he, if, if it's his strong suit, it must be pretty good. <laughs> He, he is very, very good. Um, mm. I, I would also say he's he, he's going to be a genuine all-rounder. Look, anyone who could bowl leg spin like that and then says he can bat is well, it's going to be it's, it's interesting to sort of see. Um, I, I think he'll end up. I, I'm not sure, but I think he'll end up being a top six batter definitely. Mm. Um, and yeah, his bowling speaks for itself anyway. So mm. um, when he when he came through the academy, he batted in the top four and he got. He used to get hundreds for fun. So, Well, thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it, especially at the short notice. Not a problem, yes. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Only seven Englishmen have scored three or more test hundreds before turning 24. Cook, Hutton, Root, Gower, Atherton, Botham and Harry Brook. It is very good company that Brooke finds himself in. It's probably fair to point out that the pitches were slow and the Pakistan attack wasn't especially good at times, but he also finished the series as its leading run scorer by more than 100 runs. Um, Joe, it's a question that everyone's asking. How do England fit a fully fit Johnny Bairstow back into that side? He's unlikely to be back for the New Zealand tour in February, but he should be back for the home summer, which includes the Ashes. I think most of us were sort of getting to that stage where well done, folks. You, you've done well, but step aside. And then he serves a reminder of how useful he is. Albeit, I think it is quite a different... It's a complicated one. I think in subcontinental conditions, folks offers so much as a batter, so much more as a batter than he does in home conditions, where it's doing a bit more, especially against quick bowling. Uh, and also those keeping skills are, are much more valuable in the subcontinent than they are over here, generally. And yet Stokes said the opposite. But, I, but, that's, that, but that's to make room for an extra bowler, isn't it? So, so, so he, that, he, said, he said that in England kind of he, he remains his keeper but out, out here in, in the subcontinent he wants to go a different way which is Stokes being Stokes I think I mean I, I think given the kind of the, the luxury of the, the options they've got at the moment I think folks probably does make way in England's best available side and I think Bairstow taking the gloves makes more sense than Pope doing it Pope's going about three that said Bairstow has done Pretty well as a specialist batter over the last year. Uh, it's fairly typical of his test career to then change his role and ask him to 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 take to keep wicket. That said, I don't think he'd mind doing it. He, that's what, a job he's always wanted to do anyway. Question mark around the injury, though. This is a serious injury he's had. We don't know when he's going to be back. Even when he is back, he's not a young man anymore. Uh, is that injury going to inhibit his wicket-keeping at all? Do you throw him back in as a, what, as a number four and a keeper when he hasn't played for so long and he's come back from injury? It, that is a difficult one. That is a difficult one. But I think at the moment, folks, if, if everyone was available and fit, I think folks probably does make way in whatever the conditions, even if Stokes is saying that. I just think, who else Who else do you drop? Well, I've got some ideas. Uh, so Crawley. For, for, first you want to drop Crawley, don't folk, you? Folks made 100 
in the toughest batting conditions of the English summer. That, like, from a technical point of view, you could argue that was, uh, you know, up there with the best innings of the summer. That is true. Yeah, that um, is certainly true. Uh, and we also got, you know, reminders of his of his keeping brilliance in this test, and that and that will be an added value, kind of wherever. But that run, that run out. Yeah, that, 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 game, that really. was absolutely huge. Getting Baba out, nothing was happening, and it was a piece of brilliance that you wouldn't expect an ordinary keeper to produce. Yeah, and I also feel with folks compared to England's two other, uh, compared to Crawley and Pope, there's just an element of the fact that there hasn't been an investment in him, so it's easier to to let him go. I mean, uh, folks averages like what about five runs more printings than Zach Crawley, and Crawley has. At no stage, and we're what three years into his test career. At no stage, he's shown he can handle any sort of sideways movement. I think it's just like I, I, I basically still don't really understand the crawling thing. Even in this series, okay, first first pitch, flat track, hundred and fifty. They bring in a, a, a useful spinner, a good spinner, and he doesn't really have any idea what's going on. And that is the same when there is a a Seymour swing bowler uh, and there is a bit of assistance in the surface. I kind of think that it's at the stage now where it's not about. Has Crawley, you know, do we know that Crawley is a failure as a test batter? It's that you're picking your best seven batters and folks, I think, has shown he is a more valuable test batter than Crawley. Obviously, then you ask who opens. And I guess if, so I think basically the uh, the New Zealand series is just a, a key one for four players, really. I think that you, obviously Root and Stokes nailed on and Brooke, you'd have to say as well. Uh, Duckett. Crawley, even Pope, who still only averages what like a tick more than what Folks does in Test cricket, uh, and Folks, any of them struggles, I could see them sitting out for the start of the summer. Um, and I think that it's only four innings. Yeah, I know, but I think I think they're I, not dropping. I, and they're Pope. all in form, and they're, they're all they're all a part of the setup. Yeah, so but, you, but, but they're all drop, in form. Though. Would you drop Folks then if Besto's back and give Besto the gloves for the summer? Yeah, I think there's lots of lots of things that can still play out. Uh, I think the injury and the the impact that it will have, I think, is a good point that Joe makes. Um, you know, broke his leg. That's, that's a hefty injury for a 33, 34-year-old. Uh, if if push were to come to shove and everybody's fit, then I would I would bat Stokes at seven, I'd bat Besto at six, and I'd give the gloves to Besto. If push absolutely came to shove. Uh, but there's so many other variables at play there. Uh, Besto's not going to open the batting. Pope's not going to open the batting. Root's not going to open the batting. So those two, you might want to drop one, but you're you're going to bring in another opener. I can't see that they would say to Bairstow, who has never really done it against the new ball, the new red ball. He's always struggled against the seeming ball throughout his career. You know, Crawley struggled for two years, but Bairstow struggled for 10 years against the the, the seeming delivery. When, the, when it's ramrod straight and he's in form and he's happy, then he's dynamite. We all know that. Bairstow's not, not a red ball opener, I don't think. Certainly not against an, an Aussie pace attack. Uh, so I think that's null and void. They're not going to... Pope is then their boy at number three. Finally, they've got somebody at number three who can score runs. Uh, it would be madness to give him the gloves. It would be madness to move him from number three, I think. So it really is... If Bairstow is coming back into the team, and I don't think that's absolutely a stick-on either, by the way, uh, then for for age for fitness and for the fact that you know he is a form player he is a streaky player he obviously had a marvelous stunning three or four months but literally before that there were question marks you know going into this into this calendar year there were big question marks about whether he he should even be around the side anymore you know he'd had a very very rough trot 
until that hundred he made in uh, Sydney, I think it was. Um, as I say, you ask me now, I give him the gloves and I bat him at six. But there's so many variables between now and, I, I and think June. As Ben kind of alluded to there as well, it, it, it sort of fits the Ben Folk's England Test cricketer narrative that through no real fault of his own, when push comes to shove, he is the one to make way. Uh, and you know, I suppose that's in, particularly in this team, he is a very, very assured, competent batter, but he is not explosive in the way that the rest of them are. Now, how many explosive batters do you need? <laughs> Seemingly all of them. Um, so it, it just it feels like that is the way that it'll end up because it usually does end up that way for Ben Folks, even though he's done very little wrong and actually yeah. had a very good year in Test cricket. That, that said, I thought they would drop Folks ahead of the 22 English summer. Brooke was the form player in the country. You had best who you can keep. And that was a really good opportunity for them to say to folks who hadn't had a great series in West Indies, yeah, I know you, that wasn't a long run, but but we're going to go with Brooke, who's the informed batter in the country, and Bairstow, who's got a couple of Test 100s recently. They could have done that and they didn't. Um, I think so. I think Bairstow has to play fit. He, he just had one of the best summers any Englishman's ever had. Root obviously has to play. Stokes obviously has to play. Brooke obviously has to play. And then I kind of think, I, I probably agree with Ben that um, I, I think I, I can't see Crawley averaging more than 25 in a home Ashes summer at the top of the order. Okay. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd open with Stokes and I think he'd be up for it. <laughs> it's crazy. You'd never considered doing it before, but someone else, someone else has to do it. Um, and I can see Stokes saying, well, someone's got to do it, so I'll do it. I can see the argument for actually any of Pope, Brooke, Besto or Stokes opening over Crawley and I know you might say well they're middle order players Crawley to me looks like a middle order player more than an opener but he's their opening batsman right but he's not good at opening the batting so <laughs> I mean he, he's an opener but he's he, but he's not but there has not been an example of him playing a, a, a long good innings against the moving ball in test cricket right and he's three years in so that's, <laughs> I feel like that. I mean, I know, I know they love him and I know that, you know, he can play really nice shots. But I also think that that first day of the series, when he made 500 I, I, a day. It's just such a tiresome argument. I mean, we just go round and round in circles. You think this, I think this. And there's more evidence to back up my position, but not enough for, to convince you. He averages 36 over his last seven games. He's made, he's made a, a good hundred. He's made a big hundred against Shaheen Afridi. He's 24. They like him. They don't pick him by accident. Uh, they see him all the time. Um, they, they, they are. Look, we've been through it a million times. I think, I think it is different, though. I think he can play, and I, you don't. But I think it's different. No one is saying that any of those eight batters we're talking about can't play. They have to drop someone who has done well for them recently. They have to. But the point is, what with the, with the, we're thinking what they might do. Mm. Crawley's going to open the batting for the first test of the Ashes. He just yeah. is. And he, he yeah. might, you know, his Obviously. desk career might be done by the end of it, possibly. You mm. never know. But he, he couldn't score a run for Kent and he still played this, yeah. this summer just gone. They're not going to drop Pope. The, the, even, there's not time for Pope to lose form enough for them to drop him. And also, I think he could have a long run of poor scores. They have absolutely kind of bet the house on, on Pope as well. Mm. Uh, With good reason. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, a lot of it's been justified. He's, he's played different types of innings to the others in difficult conditions. Um, and has looked like a number three. There's one person who's averaged over 30 opening the batting in the last however many years, and it's Rory Burns, and he averages 30.02. So no one's saying it's a doddle. No one's saying it's easy here. But what you have seen, you can't argue with the fact that what you have seen with Zach Crawley in the last half a dozen seven games is that there is a small 
upswing in his form in in the way that he's played. And you said we all said this last week. We spoke about that knock where he eschewed the ball outside off stump and he was 18, 17 not out and then went on to make 40 odd the day after against South Africa. Was it India? Might have been India. South Africa. South Africa. Obviously, he made the runs in the final test match to help win that game. And he's gone to Pakistan. And he's played pretty well. He got run out and he's made 100 and he's made a couple of 50. So he's done fine. Uh, there, is a, there is an upswing there. Uh, and also, that opening partnership right at the start of the series cannot be underestimated in terms of the impact it had for the whole thing. And that's, sure. that's why they pick him. That is, whether, whether we agree with it or not, that is the justification. And, 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 and in this series, it's undeniably come off. Just, um, just on so, that so carry on. partnership, uh, Ben Duckett had a brilliant series. He ended it as its, as its second leading run scorer, average 70, strike rate of 95. Eight of, English, of England's batsmen, by the way, had strike rates between 90 and 100 by the end of the series. Yeah, it's, um, and it's worth dwelling on Duckett because I've seen some people suggest that England might just view him as a, uh, an Asian condition specialist. And I, I don't see why they would be heading that way at all at this point in time. I mean, he's been the, the form county batter in the country over the past, what, four years or so. Uh, he is he's the one guy who basically consistently has averaged over 40. He has that McCullum tempo. I think, obviously, if he struggles in New Zealand, things are different. But I obviously, he'll get that series. And I'd like, I, I personally feel he has more chance of having a, uh, a, a a good Ashes series and a fruitful New Zealand series than Zach Crawley does. But I also feel that if both struggle in New Zealand, it will be Duckett that, that gets the chop, I guess. Simon asks, how good are England and how good were England in this series? How do you think they'll go against Australia next summer? Obviously, a long way to go, but what do you think? They came up against a team that was really struggling and got worse and got a little bit more madcap, I think, as the series went on. I mean, for Baba to final test match, to get run out and then to slap a long hop, it felt like the marginals went against them from the start. They were unlucky with injuries, uh, but that's not a great Pakistan side. England's still won 3 0, like, you know, which is unheard of, historic. Uh, but there are there have been plenty better Pakistan sides than that. And there will be again, you know, it was it was a tough gig for them to basically lose all of their seamers. Odd selections too, Joe. Yeah. Pakistan I don't I don't think anyone thought they were a great side, but I think we probably thought they were better than they were. Some if you look through that series, some really bad dismissals in, in every innings really that kept letting England back into the game when it looked like they were safe. Um but on England, I, I think the remarkable thing so far is the consistency. I think Phil, Katia and me did our predictions at the start of the series. Phil, I think you backed England to win 2-1. I did, yeah. Um, although you always back in to win every series. Aren't they winning I, Nashes I, I'm, last I'm, I'm, a, I'm a blind nationalist, mate. <laughs> That's me. I think Katia and I both went 2-1 Pakistan. But all of us basically said, we've, we've got no idea, but we can't really see England winning three because you can't play in the manner that they do and win three test matches in a row. And, you know, they have. And that, that to me, is is the kind of most incredible thing of the lot so far. It did strike me when you hear Stokes and McCullum talking afterwards, the constant thing, and and Duckett and Pope, the constant thing they talk about is is taking away the fear of failure. And obviously they've done that like astonishingly well, uh, and that is really working for the moment. But but they will fail. That is just going to happen. Like it, it just can't not. And then the question is, like, how do they deal with that? Can you keep playing without fear of failure when you're actually failing can you keep playing in that same way and that's what's going to be so fascinating against Australia I think they'll win in New Zealand then they've got a test match against Ireland which obviously you'd expect them to win that but they're not going to have it all all their own way against this Australian side and and can they continue playing in this manner 
Uh, another thing that uh, Mike Atherton was talking about after the game today was the, the selflessness of the players, that they're prepared to go out there and just have a hit for the sake of the team. Well, again, that's a much easier thing to do when you're winning than when you've lost a couple in a row and you're thinking, am I going to lose my place? So, like, you know, 10 out of 10, 12 out of 10 so far, but do these things continue to work when the team's not going quite so well? And that's, I don't want that to be a negative take because I don't feel remotely negative about the future for English cricket at this point, but it'll be really fascinating to see how they can cope with those dips in form because we don't, we don't know. We've not seen a, a side play like this and we don't know how they would react. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's a wait and see, but they, suddenly they look like a, a really all, the, the all round performances in this series were stunning. If you look at their side, only really root and Stokes and obviously Stokes captaincy different level, but in terms of their, their raw numbers in terms of what they produced, it was only really Root and Stokes that were below par. Who would have thought that England could go and win in Pakistan 3-0 and Root and Stokes not actually have particularly good series statistically? Uh, so things look, look very rosy. I mean, they obviously won't fear anyone at this point. I think there's an element as well that England, and I accept the point about the injury to Pakistan, but England made Pakistan worse by uh, their style of play and by the manner of that victory in the first test. Because I know Pakistan went great in it and you could question lots of things they did in that game. But... They play to that standard on that surface against basically any other team, uh, and they 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 draw that game essentially. Uh, and so, and then when that happens, that's when that doubt begins to creep in. You start questioning the things that you thought you knew about your team, and you know. And then even just just bowling wise, uh, Australia were unable or uh, only managed to what, win one game on those sort of surfaces that England won on that first test, and England were taking ten wickets consistently. Uh, and that was they, they were they were similar batting lineups. I mean, there's a, a, a few change in personnel, but but largely against the same batting lineup, uh, England had more success with the ball than Australia managed. I know the pitch pitch is different in the in the last two tests, but in that first test, that is, I mean, that, that that's an unimpeachable win, and that made Pakistan worse in the next two games, I think. Um, but yeah, they, Pakistan weren't great, but yeah. But that is a good point because you know Pakistan didn't play well. But then we say, well, New Zealand didn't play that well against England. India didn't play that well against England. South Africa didn't play. Well, you know, at some point you've got to say, well, why aren't they playing that well? And there's obviously, it's it's impacted by not only the skill with which England are playing, but the manner in, in which they're playing. And that sides are really struggling to respond to that. Yeah. And, and actually, how many good teams are there in Test Cricket at the moment? Like three, I guess, England, India and Australia. And you struggle to say that any of the others can claim that that title, I suppose. So if only those wins count. I mean, overseas Test Series wins, even against not great teams, are quite hard to come by, actually. And that's something that is worth remembering because it wasn't that long ago that England would struggle to get them. And they've actually, even going back before the Stokes era, they've won them quite regularly. And that is something that marks England out as a kind of an above average side, even when things seem like they're not going great because they're not they're losing the ashes, basically. It's a word on Azarali, who retired from Test cricket off the Karachi game. Uh, more than seven thousand runs at um, forty-two, nineteen Test hundred. Key part of that batting lineup in the UAE years before Babar really emerged. Um, Phil enjoyed. He did an interview with Sky at the end mm, of the Test match. I saw that, and he, he knew roughly how many runs he scored at number three in particular, which, which I enjoyed. But for, for such a long period of time, when Pakistan didn't really have a, a true batting superstar, he was the guy who's totally central to that team who got to number one in the world in halfway through his career. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, undemonstrative kind of player. Um, a gentleman of the game, very popular in county cricket, 
Uh, he'll be joining up with Worcester for this upcoming summer. Uh, yeah, and, and one of those one of those sort of unheralded uh, like foot soldiers of the game, if you like, in, in the 21st century. Um, he was involved during the, the dark times in 2010 and was very instrumental in, alongside Mizbar, in enabling them to rebuild their own reputation and 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 their and their integrity as well I think you know and, and he's just one of those one of those characters that you've always sort of rooted for I mean it was a real shame real blow that uh, first he got he got strangled down the leg side last ball before lunch this is what cricket does last ball before lunch on day one and then then plays all round a, a good delivery from Leach to to finish up with a duck but fronted up with a degree of uh, he was quite sanguine at, at, the, at the death there, nonetheless, you know, and it was a really lovely interview that he gave. Good cricket, a good man. Uh, he, he, that that one five seven in the final test of the 2012 Whitewash over England, that felt like a huge moment because England were there as the number one side in the world uh, and Pakistan were only newly in the UAE at that point um, and that was a, a real statement win and that was a, an epic innings. He batted for, for what felt like days to uh, set the win after Pakistan had been bowled out for um, a, a but off for ninety nine, I think, on that first day, that that was a yeah, that that, that was a, that was a, a, a brilliant innings, and then also one moment that I think shows off his popularity and his just his personality uh, was the either the last ball of the second or the third test in the COVID summer, um, when it was it was clearly managed to a draw, so they had to bowl one ball in the final hour, and so they chuck Azrael the ball, so he sort of trots up and bowls this absolutely perfect outswinger to Joss Butler that curves in and then curves away just past the bat, and then he looks actually embarrassed. Uh, one just how good it was and that he almost uh, took a wicket with this basically like uh, you know ceremonial delivery and it was just a lovely moment on a, on a sort of a goodwill tour I guess so, yeah. good player as well triple hundred made a double I think in Australia as well great hundred in England in 2020 as well in the Covid summer yes 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 mm. a fine fine player yeah excellent excellent career um, next up a very green wicket at the Gabba uh, we've got some great news ahead of the Christmas break. We've teamed up with the organisers of the Festival of Cricket, which has been created by none other than Owen Morgan, Joss Butler and Brendan McCullum. Uh, the Festival of Cricket will be celebrating everything great about the sport we love to play and watch. They're offering all Wisdom listeners a special 20% discount on standard adult and child tickets until the end of the year. The festival takes place at Gunsbury Park between the 14th and 16th of July 2023. Just visit www.thefestivalofcricket.com to find out more. Uh, use the link in the podcast description to claim your special wisdom discount. Australia went 1-0 up against South Africa after a couple of days in Brisbane. 34 wickets fell in two days on an extremely green pitch that saw a lot of seam movement and increasingly uneven bounce. The pitch has been given a below average rating, which means one demerit point for the Gabba. I watched a bit of day one and thought the seam movement was a lot, but not unreasonable, but obviously uneven bounce is, is not good. Ben, you you don't think that the, the rating is fair. You think it possibly should have been harsher? Well, I mean, I didn't expect it to get anything worse than the below average rating because that doesn't tend to happen. There's only been one pitch in the last six years I think that's been too bowler friendly and therefore received a poor rating and that was uh, in the test between South Africa and India that was almost abandoned because of uh, how tough the it Joburg was. game yeah when Dean Elgar played one of the great uh, one mm. of the great innings carries about for eight not out getting hit all over the place the, the and they typical, did come off didn't they they came off for half yeah, an yeah, hour yeah they did in the on the third evening and then it settled on the fourth morning they came back on again um, so I'm not surprised from that point of view um, 
but based i think the main issue is is that the icc's process just doesn't really work essentially so i'm just going to read you out uh what the match referee said and i'm going to read you out what the pitch uh criteria says for what should be a poor pitch so richie richard the match referee said um the gabba pitch for this test match was too much in favor of the bowlers there was extra about an occasional c movement the odd delivery also kept low um and then went on to say i found the pitch to be below average as per the IC guidelines, since it was not an even contest between bat and ball. Now, what the IC guidelines say, first on the even contest thing, it says a poor pitch is one that does not allow an even contest between bat and ball. So if he thinks there wasn't an even contest between bat and ball, it should have been a poor pitch. And then it also says that a poor pitch, a pitch may be rated poor if it offers excessive C movement at any stage of the match. And he said that it offered excessive C movement. So it's hard to see by that criteria why it's not been rated poor. But then I think you can also see how really this is just an in-between. Like one demerit point feels quite lenient if you're getting five of those you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty sure you're not going to get five of those in a five-year period so you'll probably be fine a poor rating gives you three so all of a sudden you're basically on your last warning and uh and that can also have tough consequences so i kind of think it's you just need to have an in-between thing and i've also said this before but i'm sure there must be a way to just do this with ball tracking i think like you if the icc like this is so vague like what is an even contest between bat and ball how can any test involving this South Africa side who have like an all-time great bowler, lots of other outstanding quicks and have not made 204 tests. Is that right? At Lords, they make 200 at Lords. Yeah. But but basically never make 200. How can you ever have an even contest between bat and ball when that's the makeup of their lineup? Yeah. Um, I, I, and I was... then also the, the IC uh, uh, criteria, is ex- they specify that excessive means too much, which is a, which is a useful piece of, a, <laughs> of guidance. I mean, could, could you not just have ex- excessive C movement is x percentage of balls that move y amount off the pitch and the same for spin like why could you not define that and then all tests have ball tracking in use and then do that and they have that variable bounces you know if balls in this general area the same general pace are bouncing x and y within a certain time period like obviously that's not specific enough but i don't think it's beyond the, the will of man to sit down for uh, a couple of days and come up with something coherent that makes sense rather than just relying on excessive means too much mm. it's like come and get me please the ICC <laughs> no, then no, no. I mean, pr- pr- preferably someone that's, that's played any sort of cricket would probably be better at um, that than me but I do, I do, Cummins for what it's worth said he thought it was okay thought there was a little bit of up and down two day game is not ideal but he said no way it was fine sideways movement bit of up and down bounce but it was fine Smith, Smith said the most challenging pitch he played in Australia right. and would like to see a better pitch in the w- second. What's test. the explanation for it? Has anybody? I've not seen. I've not seen anything. Right. But and weather hasn't been great in the lead up, but I don't know how recently. Yeah, I guess the surprising thing was just how much grass they left on the pitch. I mean, it looked very green, just... but sometimes pitches do look very green yeah. and they play absolutely fine. But this, that's true. That's obviously true. Obviously, didn't it? The, the Gabba one last year against England had a greenish tinge to it uh, and was certainly juicy enough, uh, as we saw. I mean, England were about six for three, weren't they? I did see, I saw a couple of comments, one from Tom Moody suggesting that that pitch was particularly unacceptable because there was such an imbalance between, because the bowling attacks were so good on either side. And I, I'm not sure of that, how that works really either. Should should be, groundsmen be taking into account mm. the players that they're preparing a pitch for mm. on, on, I, that, yeah. on that basis? I'm not sure that really works. All things considered, Travis Head going out there and getting a run of ball 90. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's one hell of a knock yeah. in a two-day game. <laughs> Where yeah. people are genuinely claiming that it could could be dangerous, and also like the, he does uh, this as, he? as Ben alluded to, there will never be a test team that is more likely to have two day tests than South Africa. Not only is their bowling attack really good and their batting are not very good, they also 
pick a really boggling heavy side in terms of the makeup. They have Jansen at seven, sometimes even at six. So that's going to happen. And I think I think we all agree that the Royal Pindy pitch is much, much worse at cricket than what we had at Brisbane. I mean, the cricket wasn't really good on the first well, And also that was an example of how a, a, an, an uh, innovative captain can, can save the pitch from looking worse as well, can't yeah. they? Yeah. Australia have a selection headache of their own for the Boxing Day test. If Josh Hazelwood is fit, they have to leave out one of Hazelwood or Scott Boland, who's done very well on his return to the team. And the Boxing Day test is at his home ground where he's a bit of a cult hero at the moment. He came into bat as a night watchman on the first day and the crowd just went totally ballistic. And then first ball, I think it was Norkia, bowled one that was so short and wide. You're like, night watchman, just leave it. And he has a massive swing at it. And there's like quite a big cheer from the crowd as he had to go. Um, so... It'll be interesting to see what they do there. Um, elsewhere in Australia, the Sydney Thunder were bowled out for 15 in the Big Bash, the lowest ever team score in a men's T20. Um, it's not very good. They were bowled out inside 5.5 overs. Number 10, Brendan Doggett was a top scorer with four. Henry Thornton and Wes Agar took figures of nine for nine between them. Um, there's some good players in that Sydney Got Thunder Alex lineup. Alex Russo. Got, yeah, Ollie Davies is highly thought of as well. I guess sometimes it's... Just not your day. Um, I, like, I, like that, I like that Doggett scores four off two as well. Imagine sc- top scoring when one of the two balls you face gets you out. Yeah. <laughs> um, ben, your moment of the week is another crazy domestic scorecard. Yeah, and it was going on simultaneously with that. So oh, you wow. had Sydney Thunder being bowled out for 15 in a T20 on one hand and uh, uh, an incredible Ranji Trophy game going on or finish going on the other hand. Let me just get the... So they needed Tamil Nadu against... Uh, Hyderabad's Tamil Nadu had gone quick in the first inning, scoring four and a half and over, was at 144 to win in what should have been 11 overs in the final evening. So you'd think not much of a hope. Uh, they end up being 93 for Noor after six overs. Um, and then Bad Light eventually came with them 108 for one off seven overs. Uh, so the two openers hit, um, I think, 15, no, uh, yeah, 13 sixes between them and no fours, which is great. Uh, and it was it was really fun as well. So so the, the uh, Hyderabad were really trying to slow down the scoring rate, sort of resetting the field after every ball, long chats with the bowlers because they knew the bad light was coming. Uh, Tamanadi were putting their own fielders in the stands uh, so that when the ball was hit in, they could throw it back as quickly as possible and get the game going. Uh, so that was that was just amazing to watch. And uh, uh, yeah, that was that was a fun forty five minutes or so when when both things were going on on Indian men's cricket. They wrapped up. That first test against Bangladesh fairly comfortably in the end. Bangladesh owner Zakir Hassan scored a century on test debut in the second innings. Um, and Kuldeep Yadav took eight wickets in the game in his first test of the year, giving India our third selection headache of the podcast, um, and, but one we won't get into today. Uh, ben, Shafali Verma is often called the future of Indian women's batting, but she's got a rival for that crown in Risha Ghosh, who's having a really good series against Australia. Yeah, well, she, she's 19 years old as well. Uh, both of them are set to play in the Un-19 World Cup, which <laughs> should be quite fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Katya talked last week about how that series between India and Australia shows that those there's a, diff, a distance between them and England. And I think we all saw that a bit in... England struggled a bit in that most recent T20 against uh, against West Indies. Yeah, but I think 86 for seven at one point. Th- there's also a thing with India where, and, I, and we say this in, in other formats as well in, in men's cricket, that you kind of think that they could be better still if they just made better use of those resources. So Rika Ghosh has scored like basically a strike rate of 200. She scored, what, 240s and 30s to rescue pretty hopeless situations, but it's coming in at number six all the time. She's a 19-year-old and she's doing this against the best side in the world, one of the best sides has ever been. Um, 
should be building the batting hype around her really I know you know if she's ace in this finishing role that's a very hard thing to do but you wonder what she could do up the order and what India could be with this somebody who seems like a real superstar uh in that position as a kind of a fulcrum of their side rather than having to repair the damage time and again as she has actually managed to do with some success in this series and she seems like a just just absolutely nervous as well to be doing that in in these kind of conditions in a, in a really in a, in a well-followed series mm. as well it doesn't seem fair that they have the two of them at the under 19 world cup no um so a few weeks ago you listeners will probably remember that we were uh, not obsessed but we were interested in the abu dhabi t10 our video editor dan senior that recently went on an ai website and got it to generate a fake but believable scorecard from the Abu Dhabi T10 where Moeen Ali scores a half century. Um, it's probably a bit more star-studded than you'd expect, but the highlights were... So it also gets a number of balls wrong, which which you'd think that's the most e- that's the easiest thing to, to get right. Uh, Moeen Ali scored 59 off 36, Josh Butler 20 off 14, Sura Kumar Yadav 15 off 9, Shweb Manik 12 off 11, Hardest Villian 10 off 7, and Adam Zamper and DJ Bravo with a, with a lead wicket takers for the bowling team. I reckon just turn it into this. <laughs> Get the you know, same number of spectators. Slip, slip a few quid to the players, <laughs> just to keep them sweet and just play it like that. Yeah. I'd follow that. Uh, Phil, what's your moment of the week? Uh, it happened this morning. Um, I went to do a, a shadow outreach shift at uh, a London charity, a London homelessness charity that my wife works for. And I went out... Um, around the streets of Victoria uh, and the bloke who took me out and who guided me through through the process is a fella called Nadim um, who played two games for Lahore in 2002 and uh, had all kinds of stories about Wazim and Wakar and facing Shoaib in the nets and so on and so on. He insisted that he broke Alex Stewart's foot in the, on the 2000 tour, on the Karachi in the Dark tour. I don't have to verify that one with the gaffer because I'm pretty sure he played all the games but perhaps he bruised his foot rather than broke it but anyway it was a it was a strange and surreal and and fascinating morning for any number of levels but especially to listen to him uh, talk about his his new career in England he's a criminal psychologist um, doctor and he works in this outreach program Uh, and he told me all kinds of things about reverse swing that our lawyers probably you know uh, would want to get involved if I were to reveal them so I think I'll just leave all that there but yeah it was a fascinating and strange morning anyway mm. Nadim Rashid is called awesome also shout out to listener Narlin who we met in the pub on Thursday last week um, I think he said he recognised our voices and then made a joke that of course it was Phil speaking when he came across us um, but it was really nice was to it a him. joke I'm not uh, yeah. sure it was a joke. I was speaking at the time. <laughs> you were. It was, yeah, really nice to meet you. And it sounds like there are some very cool things happening at your, your club, St. John Grammarians in South London. The Tim Bresnan of the podcast. Oh, yes, of course. Mm. Um, yeah, Nolan said that Joe was a Tim Bresnan of the podcast, which you, you, took, you took all right. I mean, Tim Bresnan <laughs> did did win a lot of games for England. I, I, took, I thought I took it fine, but then um, Nolan did follow up with an, apolo- out with an apology email. So maybe, <laughs> maybe my face said otherwise. Yeah. But, um, um, but anyway, yeah, Joe, we mentioned that the latest magazine was out on last week's show, but we, we didn't really plug the digital version. No, and I think we, sh- we should be doing this more because, you know, we love the print magazine. That's what we got into this business for. But we do have a digital version, the same magazine, digital, but it's got, you know, nice videos, uh, little little bits added on uh, and it's cheaper. And, you know, in these straightened times, 
uh, you can get good value there. So you can go, if you go to pocketmags.com, search for Wisdom Cricket Monthly, and you can get an annual subscription to Wisdom Cricket Monthly for only £24, £2 an issue. Uh, it's available, obviously, all around the world as well. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, particularly useful for our overseas listeners who don't want to fork out on getting a print magazine yeah. sent to their country. £2 a month. That is a, an amazing deal. Finally, next week's show is our final podcast of the year. Um, as always, we'd love to hear from you. So if you've got some questions you've been saving up, now is your chance to really get in touch and, and send in those longer ones. Equally, if you've got a moment of the year you'd like to share, feel free to get in touch at podcast at wisdom.com. It's always one of my favourite podcasts to record in the year. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today's show. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Ben. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Have a great Christmas, everyone, and we'll be back next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.